Do you need a break? You read my mind. Come with me. If you need a break, I'm here for you. Welcome to another episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick. I'm a priest and I'm a geek. And if this is the first time you're listening to my show, welcome. I love it. I hope you're going to have a blast. I always love to talk about so many different things, movies, TV shows, science fiction, Star Wars, Star Trek, and so much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This episode is brought to you thanks to my wonderful Patreon community. If you want to take a look and maybe even join them, you can join for free, and you can also become a monthly subscriber, or, well, subscriber, that sounds as if, like, you're... (laughs) No, it's like a monthly contributor. Um, take a look at patreon.com slash fatherroderick and soon there will be an even another way to join my community but we're still working on the website and on implementing how we're going to do that and I also have an email newsletter before I forget it it's the diary of a media priest I'm, I'm, I call myself a media priest because I work in the media as a priest and I multiple times per week I write these little stories about stuff that I've that I've witnessed and and uh, travels or when I visit uh, like a fantasy festival or or, or a Star Wars convention I, I write about that I make these little stories and um, if you're interested in that I have an additional reason to sign up for uh, that email newsletter and that is that I've as you probably have already heard I've written a book. And it's a book about Lent. We are currently in the second week of Lent, this 40-day period that prepares us for the Feast of Easter. And I wanted to write a book about the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien and Lent. And so that's what I did uh, for about a week. I worked on creating this book. It's got, I think, really, really nice illustrations that I didn't make myself, but I had um, AI create them on the basis of my prompts. It was a lot of fun to figure out how to create these kind of Middle Earth, the Middle Earth vibe, even though this this AI gener- image generation is all over the place and you get sometimes the weirdest results. But with a bit of patience, I think the, the results are, are quite nice. And um, the book is actually giving you like 40 tips, 40 suggestions of what you can do in this time of Lent to grow, to grow in your life, to grow in your relationship with people around you, with God. And, uh, and it's all linked to the story of Frodo and the Ring. It's available for free for anyone who joins my email newsletter. Go to mediapriest.com slash Lent. So that's mediapriest.com slash Lent to sign up. And if you are Dutch and you want to sign up for the Dutch version of my diary, then you can go to mediapriester.nl vasten. Mediapriester.nl vasten. Sorry for the Klingon, but that's for because I know I have Dutch listeners and they might prefer the Dutch version of my of my mailings. Um, it was a lot of fun. We'll talk a little bit more about the book and about the first reactions. But first, we need to move not to Middle Earth, but to that galaxy far, far away. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So, The Bad Batch premiered last week with three episodes. I love it when Star Wars kicks off another series with like a two-parter or even a three-parter. So, you get into the story right away. Um, The downside is 
there are three episodes to watch, and I don't always have the time to watch them all in a row, but I've watched the first two episodes of the third season of The Bad Batch. For those of you that are non-initiated yet, uh, let me give you a, a quick rundown. The Bad Batch is about a group of clone warriors. The clones used to be the good guys uh, because they were used to fight the separatists, but of course you know that Emperor Palpatine has his hands everywhere, and he's pulling the strings in the background, so at one point he gives... Uh, the Order 66 and a chip, a microchip in the in the head of all these clone warriors switches on and they start killing all the Jedi. That's why Luke Skywalker is like one of the few Jedi that is still alive at the beginning of A New Hope. But these clone warriors had, uh, you know, a, a whole... The whole story that has never been told. And this particular series, it's an animated series, tells the stories about these four or five clone troopers that were slightly, you know, they they didn't work out. They weren't perfect clones. They all had, like, special abilities and also flaws. And so that's why they were called the Bad Batch. It's like, basically... They, they should have been exterminated. Uh, and yet... Um, it's because they are so unique, because they are, they're clones, but they're very different from one another, that they actually form a, a really great team. They find this young girl, Omega, and she also turns out to be a clone, which is very surprising. We, we will learn more about uh, all, the, all the cloning that was taking place uh, beyond the scope of what we saw in the prequels. And this young girl is basically their sister. She is older than the Clone Warriors, even though in you know physically she's she's still a, a, a teenager, and so she joins the, her brothers and uh, start to unravel bit by bit everything that the Emperor is secretly you know planning with this, this the cloning and and maybe th there will be connections. It's still. We still need to see this how how this story will will uh, will unfold, but it's it's probable that there will at least be some clues given as to how the emperor in the sequels returned. Um, it, it's just a throwaway line by by Poe Dameron. Somehow the emperor returned, but we know that he used cloning technology to bring himself back to, or to give himself a, a new body. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, the Bad Batch, because in this third season it, it focuses on the whole cloning and the background of Omega and, and the Bad Batch, that that will somehow tie in into the sequels. This is what Star Wars does really well. Um, the movies all were full of plot holes, full of... of, of even when, when George Lucas created the original trilogy, he had no idea what he was doing. I, I saw a video... And that brought me back immediately, like twenty years ago, and it was um, it was still like it was taped from TV. I think I saw it on TikTok or maybe on YouTube, and it was a camera crew following George Lucas on the first day that he went to work on the script for the Phantom Menace, and so you see him walking around at Skywalker Ranch, and he's heading for his his he's got his own little you know. Uh, outpost where he had a, uh, a nice small room where he can sit and write. And he wrote the script by hand. He's got this yellow notepad, and that's how he wrote his original scripts. And then he tells the camera crew, yeah, 
I just brought my, my daughters to school, and it's kind of been a bit of a hectic time. But today I am committed to start writing The Phantom Menace. But how do I begin this story? And then he goes on by explaining that when he, when he pitched his script for A New Hope, he had written a backstory. Because he wanted to, and, and this is very common in the movie industry, when you, when you uh, develop a story or, or a script, you develop more than just the lines that will end up in a movie. You have to, discover, to kind of work out where the characters in your story come from. What, they, what is their past? What is their background? And so George Lucas had given some thought as to what happened before A New Hope. Because as you know, the New Hope just plunges you straight into the action. We meet this farm boy. There's this princess. Where do these people come from? Oh, we want Kenobi when he f- first talks to to Luke Skywalker after he rescues them from the from the Sand People. Uh, says again in a throwaway line, "Yeah, your father. Uh, fought, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars." And when that movie came out, nobody had a clue what those Clone Wars were about. I, I imagined it was something like. At first, when I was a child, it didn't even register. I, I was so mesmerized by, by the lightsaber, I, I had no idea what the old man was talking about. But later on, when I rewatched the movie over and over again, I started to think, well, what could these Clone Wars be? And I always pictured it as a war against clones or something like a classic science fiction. Like you've got the creepy clones and then you've got the Jedi or like killing all the clones. And it turns out that George Lucas himself had almost no idea what that was. He had written... Um, I think be around 12 or 14 pages of back of back history or how do you say that of like a very 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 um rudimentary idea of what happened before a new hope. And then you get that first day of writing and he's like, "Yeah. So what am I going to do? I have no idea how I'm going to do I I I have the like the big overall lines. I I kind of know what happened, but it has no plot. There is, there, you don't have the, the, the characters, I don't have the intricacies and the relationships and the, 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 the tension and the resolutions and what all happened. I need to come up with all of that. And that is, um, I think, so that's so great about the creative process. We all take it for granted that he had everything thought out, but he had no clue when, when he started writing. But... That's, that's the beauty of creativity. It just, it, the story just emerged as if it had already been there for forever. And what happened later on, the sequels, you know the history of the sequels and how, how messy that process was where, where they just hired J.J. Abrams because they wanted something, just do something Star Wars, just whatever. And J.J. Abrams didn't know how, to, how the story would unfold. And then they handed it over to Ryan Johnson and Brian was like, okay, so do you have a plan for what happens next? And JJ was like, uh, no, and <laughs> just do whatever. And so Johnson, he took the story, did a totally different take on all the events, surprised everyone, shocked a lot of Star Wars fans. And then they had uh, Trevorrow, who had developed a script for the third movie, and Disney didn't like it at all. So they basically... Uh, said to him, mm, thank you so much, but we'll go in another direction. What are we going to do now? All right, let's just rehire J.J. because he did the first story, so he can probably wrap it up. And and then J.J. Abrams was like, um, okay, so now I have a problem because I had certain ideas of where the story would go, but then 
been, the Last Jedi took it in such a different direction. How am I going to tie all this up? So it's it's very messy, and I think a lot of the criticism on the sequels is is linked to that. You know, you feel that they don't really know what they're doing. They kind of wrap it up, but there's so many plot holes. There's so many unlikely things. But this is what makes Star Star Wars also so interesting as a creative process because afterwards they start filling in all these things. They start explaining. They start adding information. And they do this through The Mandalorian, through the Book of Boba Fett, through the the, the Clone Wars animated series. And it just, you have this whole tapestry that starts to develop. It's like a cobweb of new information, of new story threads. Who would have ever thought that they would bring back Anakin Skywalker? And they would tie him into, and I'm talking about uh, Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker, and that they would link him to this, this, this animated character of Ahsoka in a live-action series, and it, it just fits. It just matches, and it's like so incredibly impressive how they were able to, to tie everything together and, and make it feel much more organic than it was originally planned. I, I'm always surprised at how they do that, how they fill in the blanks. And so uh, with The Bad Batch, this is also uh, one of the reasons that I love that show because, it, it, again, it, it, it takes this simple idea of you've got all these cloned warriors. What would happen if some of these clones were faulty? Can we make a story out of that? And when they first pitched it, I was like, yeah, that sounds fun for like three episodes, which is originally what it, what they did in the Clone Wars. It was just one or two episodes. and But everybody loved it. And that's when Disney started to think and, and, and Dave Filoni like, maybe there's more there. Maybe we can develop this into a story. And then, you know, the story itself grows and changes and evolves. And now you get this third season where I have to say, I've, I've seen the first two episodes, as I mentioned, and it's really good. I love the first episode. It takes place in a prison. So um, Omega is, is imprisoned by the Empire, and it, it has the same kind of oppressive feeling as we saw in Andor, in, in the, the episodes that take place in the prison in, in Andor. Uh, it's slightly more kid-friendly, but it's, it's, I lo- it's the same kind of story. I always love these, these prison stories and how is she going to escape, and... What I also really appreciate is how Omega is kind of the embodiment of the values of Star Wars. So the Empire obviously is only interested in 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 power, in in efficiency, in using creatures and people as weapons. So basically dehumanizing them. And then Omega, especially in the first episode, is the example of well, but I see these even even these these there these uh, alien hounds, very dangerous animals. But she befriends one, and then it's the the animal itself or the alien creature itself is is uh, is slightly flawed and has a wound, and then she nurtures the wound. And uh, but the empire wants to get rid of the animal, and and it, it, again, it's like Omega is like, but but no, you have to respect these creatures. You have to respect these clones. You cannot use people as things, which to me is is part of the core of what Star Wars is about. It's it's you know machines versus versus nature and and uh, power versus respect for any type of life. Um, beautiful 
symbolism. And, and it's still brought in a non-preachy way in a story that appeals to both adults and children. I think it's really masterful what they do with that series. And I can't wait to see where, where they will bring Star Wars next this year. Because, of course, after The Bad Batch is finished, then we will move over to, um, to The Acolyte. Which is, uh, for the first time, that we're going to see live action based on The High Republic. So, golly, we're, we're in for some, for some really exciting times when it comes to Star Wars. Let's, let's move into space, but in a different version of space. Let's move into the world of Star Trek for a moment. Space. The final frontier. Unfortunately, we have some sad news from the world of Star Trek because one of the actors that was involved in multiple roles in Star Trek Discovery has died just the other day at the age of only 49 years old. Turns out this Canadian actor had been uh, battling ALS for... um, ALS uh, is um, uh, an acronym for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It's 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 a disease that that um, progressively starts to degenerate the nerve cells in your spinal cord and brain, so you, you, you become immobilized, your, your, your mental uh, capacity uh, declines very rapidly. He was diagnosed, I think, last year in August or something like that. Only a few months. It's, it's just, it's so unreal. And not only w- uh, did he play multiple roles in Star Trek, um, but he also played the father, I think, of Captain Marvel in, in um, was it in the Marvels or was it in Captain Marvel? I'm not exactly sure. Let me look up the article here. I'll link uh, to it. Yeah, so he played the father of Carol Danvers in, in Captain Marvel. Um, so in Star Trek, he played a number of Klingons. Uh, especially in the first season of Discovery. You remember they had the Klingons with the slightly different faces, slightly, actually radically changed appearance. And he played, um, let's see, let me look up the IMDb. He played Cole and then Cole Shah, and I think those are father and and, uh, son. Tanavik, and Aurelio in, in, I think it was in the second season. And if I'm not mistaken, Aurelio, wasn't he the guy in the wheelchair? I can't, It's been a while since I watched Discovery. Uh, and probably he was already um, suffering from, from the, the effects of ALS. Uh, he was a, a very optimistic guy. Um, his brother had, a, I think, a, a really nice... Uh, how do you say that? In, in Dutch, we say in memoriam. So it's like a, um, what you say after someone dies. I don't know exactly. In, 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 eulogy. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the vocabulary, but you see what I want to say. Um, uh, it, it's someone uh, who, even though he was diagnosed with a disease, uh, realized that that every day is a gift and um here it says regardless of his later disabilities ken discovered a higher calling to be more fully himself for his kids for five and a half years ken faced a series of awful challenges oh so he was 
had been diagnosed much earlier. I thought it was August. I thought I read that somewhere. Uh, has faced a series of awful challenges from ALS. Uh, but in the truest Ken Mitchell fashion, he managed to rise above each one with grace and commitment to living a full and joyous life in each moment. He's survived by his wife, Susan, and their two young children. Um, let's keep them in our prayers and uh, and, and be, be thankful for the life that has been given to you, as Tolkien says, or has, I think it's Gandalf who says that. You know, it's not about how long you live, but what we do with the time that's been given to us. You, you can live a full life that is only 49 years long, and you can have a miserable life that is 80 years or, or, or longer. Um, take, take advantage of the, of, of the life that you have right now. Don't worry too much about the future. Don't think too much about the past, but try to live every day as a gift that is given to you to make something beautiful out of it. And, well... It looks as if um, if Mitchell really did that. I just wanted to mention this because even though all these Star Wars and Star Trek, it's all about imaginary tales, but they're played by real people. They're created by real human beings that ultimately, even though they work in the movie industry, they're not that different from us, from you and me. And it's always... It, it can be painful to realize that because their work will live on much longer than the actual actors. Um, but there's also something beautiful in that that, that, that their legacy will be enjoyed for years to come. Look at Star Wars. Look at the original movies, how, how few actors are still alive. Harrison Ford is still there. Mark Hamill is still there. But almost everyone else is gone. And yet, there are stories. What they did in that one year or in these few years that they filmed Star Wars, that, that, will, that will last for, for generations. And that's, that's, I think, what's beautiful about the art of creating TV shows and, and movies. All right, let's go to our next topic here. The most beloved fantasy story of all time. It is the tale of a small hobbit and the great wizard who appeared to him one day. All right, dude, check it out. Go like that way and then up this one mountain and then kill all the hippies you come across. No, no, I'm searching for a dragon's treasure. I'm the wizard, you're the dwarf, and you will respect my authority. I am no dwarf. While I was playing the jingle, I took a look at the, I took a look at the live chat, and Kathleen reminds me that it's memorial or eulogy. I knew, yeah, eulogy. That, I know that word, actually. It just escapes me when I'm, when I'm talking. But thank you so much. Um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, as I mentioned before, I've been diving into the world of Lord of the Rings again while I was writing my Lenten book. The book is, by the way, called Lent for Little Folk, and it has that has two reasons. I like the idea that little folk, faith is for little folk. Jesus says if you don't become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of, of God. And uh Lent is not just a highbrow, very only for devout people. It's for it's for your day to day life, and so I tried to write my Lenten suggestions based on that. You know, it's it's got to be just feasible. It needs to be applicable to our to everyone's life. Um, but Little Folk is also a surname of certain a certain group of hobbits in the area of the Shire, and so. It, but it's not a it's not a trademarked 
word, which I really wanted to avoid. And I have a disclaimer at the, at the first page of my book that it, it's this, whatever I, I use in ter- terms, etc., is used for educational purposes only. Uh, you have to be very, very careful when you use big franchises like this. So it's, it's um, fair use, uh, under the fair use uh, legislation. And no infringement is is uh, is is intended. Plus, I I give it away for free. I'm not selling this book. I'm just giving it away for free for anyone who's interested. Um, so again, if you wanna if if you've missed it somehow, go to mediapriest.com/lent, and uh, if you leave me your name and email, I will send you the um, the PDF and the EPUB book and the Word file and the whatever format kindle uses so there are multiple versions i'm sure that one of them will probably work with the device that you want to read it on um so while i was writing the book i talk about this also on the walk i explain how how i you know (laughs) got a little bit um it took a bit longer than i initially planned i i planned to write the book in just over the weekend but then turning it into an ebook was a bit more of a challenge. It was a slightly more work, and but it also uh, motivated me to to write a little bit more. So in order to do that, I dove it into the books themselves, and I kind of, of course, I didn't read the entire um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, that would have taken a lot of time, but I did glance over the all these. I had forty moments in the story, so I went to all these different moments in the in the quest of Frodo and the Fellowship, to find moments that were inspirate that I could connect with Lent. Uh, and so, bit by bit, over the past week, I worked my way through the books again, and, and, it, and it, that was a wonderful experience, because it's been a while since I actually read the book, and I'm, I deliberately say book, because it was intended as one book. It was published as three tomes, three volumes, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and the, uh, the Two Towers and the Return of the King, but it is one book. And if you, even if you look at the, um, uh, the how do you call it, the, 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 the table of contents, you will see that it's actually one big story. Um, but because I was looking for those 40 moments, it, it constantly brought me back to the text. And uh, it... it, it I realized again how different the book can be from the movies. And I have immense respect for what Peter Jackson did with the story and how he sometimes moved stuff around, omitted things, took took poems from the Silmarillion and uh, kind of reworded them also to avoid copyright problems and issues with the Tolkien estate and and gave those words to Aragorn or to, uh, you know, Galadriel. And there's, there's lots of... Uh, there are lots and lots of changes, uh, but I'm so used to the story of the movies that I almost forget about the book and how how incredibly how incredibly good it is. It was such a, uh, an amazing read. Now I actually want to go and just read it for fun instead of for work. Um, and I also really want to go back and and rewatch the movies. There, I know the first movie. I've, oof, that was my my computer is making some noise here. Um, the um, the first movie is the one I've seen the most, and the Return of the King is the movie that I watched the least. I don't know why. It's probably because these movies are like three and a half hours long. If you watch the extended version, um, but 
especially towards the end, it was very easy to find all sorts of, of moments from the first part of the story, but then towards the end, it's like, okay, what, what else happened while, while uh, Frodo and Sam were walking, walking around there with, with Gollum? And I was like, oh, yeah, you got the whole story about the, the army of the dead and then the, the Oath Breakers. And, and so I had to reread that. I had forgotten completely about that whole passage. And, and so I was thinking, well, why would Tolkien have integrated that? And what it, how can I link that to, to what Lent is about, et cetera, et cetera. So it was challenging, but also a lot of fun. Um, I'm already thinking about another project. Uh, for the time after Easter, uh, because then we have the Easter time that is 50 days until Pentecost. And then before Pentecost, 10 days before Pentecost, you've got the Ascension. And so I'm looking for ideas. If you have an, uh, an idea of, well, you could do, a, I want to do something similar. So not, I don't want to write a long book. I don't have time for that. Plus, ain't nobody got time to read a, 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 book, a full book, at least, you know. That's what I tell myself. So something similar, like a guide to Easter time, based on stories that we're all familiar with. Of course, you've got Star Wars, but that would be a little bit much. I always do Star Wars. Star Trek is going to be hard. I was thinking someone suggested maybe Harry Potter, but then I, I don't know. Harry Potter is so controversial right now. And the last thing I want is to stir up contra controversy, controversy, controversy. I don't want people to fight online about you know why or I should have or shouldn't have used Harry Potter. But there, there, there are probably other stories as well. I don't know. I just I'm blanking out. So I need your help. If you have an idea, or you have, maybe you have a request, then I, I'm I'm all. All for it. Let me know on Discord if you're a patron and otherwise. Just you know how to find me. You can leave it in the comments on this on this particular episode as well. Um, what else was I going to talk about? Oh well, no, I'll talk about that in the second part of the show. Uh, yeah, let's move over to the world of anime. Japanimation. Yeah. Cool. I'm not exactly going to talk about Japanese animation, but I am going to talk about a series that is very close to the world of anime, and uh, that is the fantastic animated series Avatar. I'm not talking about the blue guys, uh, guys and girls, but I'm talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, which was there before James Cameron came, uh, uh, came up with this idea of all these, these, these blue aliens. So I kind of still think it's so confusing that we have two big IPs all having the same name, Avatar. And, well, anyway, so Avatar, The Last Airbender, is a story about a... Um, it's, it's a bit like the the, um, the the Dalai Lama, you know, where, where, where um, the adherence to that particular religion, or I'm not even sure if it's a religion, um, they see the Dalai Lama as the reincarnation of the same person through time and so when the Dalai Lama dies they're going to search for you know where is he going to re, re in, reincarnate uh, you know where, who's going to be the next Dalai Lama it's not it's not like the Pope like we're looking for a new Pope no it's the same guy in a different body kind of 
I don't know, not really compatible with my, the Christian view on on life and 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 uh, eternal life, uh, plus also the uniqueness of the human soul. But Avatar: The Last Airbender takes that idea and turns it into a more of a fairy tale story where the there are four four factions or four peoples on in the world of Avatar. Um, or nations, they're called nations. You've got the water nation, the earth nation, the fire nation, and the wind nation. And they each take turns to be the bedrock for the next avatar. So, you know, one period of time it can be uh, the fire nation, and then then the next avatar won't be born among the fire nation people, but among the water nation people, etc. So there's a bit of a balance there. Um, but there is this one country or this one nation, the fire people, and they, it's it's a bit of a a question if it's nature or nurture, but they have a tendency to dominate the other nations. They want to rule and they cannot stand it that they're, it's not their turn anymore. And so they develop the plan to go kill all the people of the, I think of the water, no, the, the air nation, the, the airbenders. So these are people that are actually able to to uh, manipulate the element that is sim- symbolic for their nation. So the the um, airbenders are able to use the air and the wind to fight and to whatever to build and to fly and whatnot. So the fire nation knows that the next avatar is going to be one of the airbenders. And what they then do is they eradicate all the airbenders except for this one boy and this is where the story you know is instant mythology here there's only one last airbender and he escapes and he happens to be the next avatar he just doesn't know it yet and through some very dramatic events he needs to protect himself and he encloses himself in a big huge globe of ice together with his flying flying whatever it is, flying elef- hairy elephant, or <laughs> it's like this big big beast that can fly um, and that the airbenders ride. Uh, and, and he is awakened, I think, centuries later. So the world is now under the domination of the Fire Nation and everybody's looking for the last avatar. And it turns out it's just little this little boy and he's adopted, kind of adopted by the waterbenders and then he is going to uh, go on a quest to learn how to manipulate not just the air, because as an airbender, he's familiar with that, but because he's the avatar, he's supposed to be able to use all the elements. And so it's this coming-of-age story of this boy who needs to learn. It's not, he's not an instant messiah. He actually has to acquire all that knowledge and experience over time, and that happens through the various seasons of the animated series. And and ultimately, of course, he becomes the the next. Well, he is the next avatar, but then he is able to fully be what he is called to be. Um, the animated series is already, I think, more than a decade old. It was very popular. It was on Nickelodeon. It did look like anime, but it wasn't. It was actually an American production. And one of the guys who's been extremely influential on the series and was one of the writers also is none other than Dave Filoni. 
our Star Wars Dave Filoni, actually, before he was Mr. Star Wars, was Mr. Avatar The Last Airbender. So you can tell that his storytelling, and he was so, he's a good storyteller, but he was also, first and foremost, an, an animator, a designer. So a lot of the, what you see in Avatar The Last Airbender was, was drawn by, by uh, Dave Filoni. Um, Netflix decided to turn this into a, a, a live-action series. There was a movie which nobody wants to talk about because it was apparently terrible. I think I watched it, but I don't remember anything because uh, I just know that it's the movie that you don't talk about. And Netflix, having very, very deep pockets, saw interesting new IP to develop, and they've done a number of these adaptations of animated series they had the uh, cowboy bebop which i actually thought was fine but the fans of the original animated series hated it because it was so different um so it's it's a very very difficult thing to do well especially because you've got these rabid fans who cannot stand it if there's anything that it doesn't match exactly what they treasure as their childhood memories so for cowboy bebop it flopped because the fans didn't like it. Um, I, I was not familiar with the original, so I only watched the live-action series, and I actually really enjoyed it. Then, they had a massive hit, of course, with One Piece. I, everybody loves One Piece, and in many respects, I actually think that the live-action series is better than the original animated uh, series. It's also shorter, which really helps, because this is an animated series based on a manga, which is even longer. So it's this compressed version of the story. It works really well. Some of the characters are much more interesting. So after One Piece, while, of course, they were already working on One Piece, they decided to do Avatar Last Airbender. And they did, I think, a very good thing. They hired the original creators of Avatar Last Airbender, the animated series. So the fans were like, oh, finally. If the original creators are involved, we know it's going to be good. Because they know this story. They know the characters. They're not going to disappoint us. And then there were creative differences. And the original creators stepped off the project. And then the fan base was like, oh, no. They're going to mess it up. It's not going to be good. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be horrible. And so everybody's like, oh, no. Not Avatar The Last Airbender. This is such a good story. Please make it work. And so with trepidation, a lot of the fans tuned into the first episode. Um, it's They put everything online. I, I hate it when they do that. I don't like to binge watch. And there's so much potential for being spoiled or, you know, get, when you... I don't know why Netflix does that. It's so stupid. If you publish it episode per episode or do what Disney does, just give us two or three episodes to begin with and then roll it out, there you can still control the buzz around a series like this. But if you put everything online at once, the people that don't like it start to to hate on it and then nobody will watch it anymore because you get all this you know, chat around the movie, uh, around the series that it's not good. I always go into these things with an open mind. I was like, I don't know. I'm I'm not a rabid fan of this. I don't, I, I love the animated series, but I also don't mind when the story is done differently. It's like with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. The books are amazing, but I, the movies are equally amazing. Even The Hobbit, I really like The Hobbit movies. Yeah, 
they had flaws and they weren't as good as the Lord of the Rings, but still, dude, those movies were awesome. And that's how kind of how I approached after the last airbender, watched the first episode, live action episode. These episodes are one hour long. Thankfully, because that's a good, I like that, that duration. It's almost like a theatrical release. And I was blown away. It looks so good. I thought the casting of the characters was done very, very well. They all kind of felt very much like their animated counterparts. Um, we're talking child actors also. And a lot of the critics were very harsh. And the boy who plays Avatar is like, yeah, he's like, his lines sound too rehearsed. And I'm thinking, but... It's a, it's a child, it's a kid. He does a, a terrific job. I mean, and, and I'm reminded of all the hate that, that Jake Lloyd got for his depiction of Anakin Skywalker. And I was like, be careful. We were talking about children. Don't do this. Don't, don't be too vicious in your hatred. We're still talking about a, a massive creative endeavor. Try to be open-minded. Try to appreciate it for what it is. Don't try, don't... What I, what I often lack, and this is also what I often see with Star Wars, is that as soon as the end result is not what people expect, it's not corresponding to their imaginary version, then they don't like it at all, and it's like all or nothing. I'm not against criticism and creative criticism. I'm just, it's perfectly fine to do like a balanced review and say, well, I think this element is... They could have done this better, or I don't understand these choices. I do the same with Wheel of Time. I've, I, when I look at the TV series, I see a lot of flaws, but I also appreciate it for what it is. It's still an amazing story, and it's also very well acted, and for the budget, pretty decent special effects and world building. You know, there's a lot to love, and I wish that we we as fans could be more so new, more nuanced, and and just weigh both aspects. Even if you don't like the Star Wars sequels, there's still a lot there that is pretty cool. But it's it's not just black and white. It's not just I love everything or I hate everything. So with Avatar The Last Airbender, the, I thought the first... I've only seen the first episode. There was, like, so much to love. Is it exactly like the original uh, uh, animated series? No, thankfully not. No, Siri thinks that I'm talking to Siri. I'm not talking to you. Please go away. Um, but this gives people a reason to go watch the animated series. So everybody wins. And, and then you have the fun of comparing the two and seeing the different creative choices that people have made. That's what I love about this series. I am very pleasantly surprised. I think the intended audience is... Uh, it's not the hardcore fans. Obviously, that is an important group to cater to, but this is a series, I would say, for for more for slightly older children. It is more violent than the animated series, uh, especially the attack by the fire people of the, of the airbenders. I was like, whoa, okay, this is huh, more Game of Thrones than, than, than Lord of the Rings. This is pretty gruesome. Um... But I don't know, maybe kids nowadays are more used to that kind of uh, stuff. I, I don't know. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But I think this is going to work, the series. And I really hope that they can do the entire you know, run of the season. I don't know how many seasons they planned. I assume three? 
Um, and I hope that we can see all of them, just like I hope that that we will see multiple seasons of One Piece also. Um, it is a bit tricky because, of course, you've got child actors and they grow up, and um, so you have this kind of limited time span during which you can do projects like this. But I'm hoping at least for a three-season run. That would be wonderful. And I hope that a lot of people will actually really like it. All right, so that wraps it up for this episode of The Break. Um, There will be more if you are part of my Patreon community. I have the premium versions of the show, which is basically just more banter by the same guy that you've been listening to for about, what is it, 43 minutes now. (laughs) I'm going to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, books. Um, And, I oh, I need to review um, Baldur's Gate 3. So that's coming up for the premium version of the show. And I I got a demo of the Apple Vision Pro. And I have thoughts. So all that and more coming up in the premium version. If you want to join my Patreon community, go to patreon.com slash fatherodrick. Everyone who joins one of the... It doesn't matter which tier you join, you will get uh, the premium edition of The Break. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. I enjoyed it. I hope that was the same with you. Again, if you want to be inspired during this time of Lent by the story of Tolkien, take a look at my book at mediapriest.com slash Lent. I hope you sign up and um, and then I hope you enjoy also my, um, my weekly uh, diary entries with the, the stories. I've got a lot of stories to tell and to share and I hope you, uh, you like it. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. God bless. Have a wonderful second week of Lent.